Hey, this is Vanessa. This is Carlos. And you're listening to Retro Ad Review. This is a podcast where we select a couple of random old TV commercials and review them. So if you like commercials, listen in. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Retro Ad Review. We back. Goodbye. Oh, no. You said that a little bit like the voice <laughs> from... The robot from, things. <laughs> the voice from, the, from like old Microsoft computers. I guess. Goodbye. Or, Goodbye. Uh, no, wait. Well, well. <laughs> All right. Well, whatever. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll go with my own thing. Hi, everybody. Hi. And we are back to give you some interesting commentary and news and information and whatever about your old favorite commercials or just old commercials. They don't have to be your favorite. And what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about old video game commercials featuring before they were famous star people. So this is kind of a remix. We've done old video games. We've done... A few times. (laughs) Yeah. We've done famous people. So now we're kind of merging the two to create this episode. (laughs) Okay. So should we just dive in? Yeah. Okay. Just last night, I was lost in the jungle with Pitfall Harry, surrounded by giant scorpions and man-eating crocodiles. Well, Harry and I just grabbed the van, swung through the trees, and over the tar pits and found the jungle treasure. It was really neat. If you haven't met Pitfall Harry, you're missing the year's most incredible video game adventure. Pitfall for the Atari 2600 and in television. Since I met Pitfall Harry... No other man will do. Pitfall, designed by David Crane for Activision. David Cream? It was indeed designed by David Crane. (laughs) Okay. So, any guesses as to who this was in the commercial? Three, two, one. So that is Jack Black. He's the first voice you hear in this commercial. So if you want to actually watch it, you can find it under Jack Black in the TV advert for Pitfall. His face looks exactly like the same. Still does that square hand over his face thing, right? Yeah, he is like, he has a very particular facial movement. Like he moves his face a lot. And I guess he's always done that. So, right. To just very briefly take you through the commercial. It kicks off with Jack Black as a child. I have no idea how old he is here wearing like a safari hat and talking directly at the camera. And he's talking about Piffle Harry. What's his name? Yeah, Piffle Harry. I like how he's wearing a safari hat, but he's also just wearing a basic collared shirt. Yeah, he's just wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> like I'm going uh, to the deadly jungle, but um, wearing basic tennis shoes. So after Jack Black's bit, it shows real gameplay, which is just like pixels. <laughs> Because this is the Atari 600, and this commercial is from 1982. 2600. So we were 2600. So we weren't particularly advanced when it came to graphics, but the graphics, I guess, at the time were mind blowing. Yeah, anyway, the rest actually of, one of the best ones. It's actually advanced, certain thing. Anyway, the rest of the yeah, commercial. I'll explain later. <laughs> the rest of the commercial isn't really that interesting. It's just multiple people wearing safari hats, like a grandma, a guy in a business suit, a girl who apparently is in love with Pitfall Harry, talking about Pitfall Harry, and it just shows more scenes of the actual gameplay, and then it ends with a picture of the Activision logo and what the box looks like. So if you want to go to Walgreens and pick it up, that's the image that you would pick up. So that is the commercial. But what about more info? I don't know what about more? What about a ham-fisted Segway? Okay. The video game is called Pitfall, but it's spelled with an exclamation point. So you have to say Pitfall. It was created by a man named David Crane and released by Activision in 1982 for the Atari 2600. David Crane had previously left Atari in 1979 to found Activision so that programmers could get more recognition for their work. I guess that's why in the commercial, there was like a contract in there that you had to say, it was by David Crane. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's why I said it out loud. I thought it said David Cream. Whoever said it didn't say it good. Or maybe it's because it's a 
70 year old commercial yeah that's true i guess in the game the player controls pitfall harry as he has to gather all 32 treasures within 20 minutes uh he has to wait go like the whole game is 20 minutes yeah i've played pitfall but i've like the, never played pitfall. back in the day it was coming off from the arcade era so it mm. wasn't as story intensive or because he couldn't shove too much into the entire game. The story is pretty much just these people telling it. You gotta survive. There's yeah. no like... He's just a jerk who's stealing ancient treasure. There's no intrigue. Yeah. He has to go through 255 horizontally connected screens and avoid perils such as logs and crocodiles. Mm. And he has to swing through vines and there's a bunch of holes that have an underground. The game was a huge success and was praised for its graphics. The graphics were like, what? It looks like a human being running. One of the things was that it didn't flicker. Oh, and that's it interesting. Was pretty good looking and everything. Because like the whatever. arcade stuff would flicker, right? No, uh, the ports usually flickered. Okay. Like, okay, I get it. I don't know and that much. It became <laughs> one of the best selling games of the 2600. And at the time, this was the most badass video game ever created. I think at this point it has like 10 million sold. Wow. It is considered one of the first platform games or like a proto-platform game. You know how the 90s had a bunch of jumping on platforms and stuff? Yeah, yeah. It's considered one of the first ones to uh, do something like that rather than just like a space shooter or something. Oh, yeah. Everything was Space Invaders and It has since been given accolades as one of the greatest games of all time and has led to a giant series, including the second one, that he got a girlfriend, he had to save her or something like that. Pitfall Harry? Fall to, yeah. Was it I, the girl from this commercial? Not his <laughs> no. girlfriend? Since I met Pitfall Harry, no other man will do. And then it was ported to the Nintendo, which doesn't have a good reputation. Nintendo. David Crane warned Atari of releasing well-known name products like ports of arcades and movie licenses that would create a glut of poor games and end a disaster. He was proven correct with the video game crash of 1983. Very Cassandra situation there. Yeah. Pitfall eventually did better than E.T., which Atari paid $21 million to license and is usually credited with the head of the video game crash. Crane worked on the more advanced but obscure because of the crash, 1984 sequel, as I just mentioned. All right, right. He left Activision in 1986 to co Absolute Entertainment with Gary Kitchen. And one of the biggest successes he had was the cult game A Boy in His Blob. Trouble. A Boy in His Blob. Blobalonia. Where the boy has to feed his blob jelly beans to navigate the terrain and free Blobalonia from an evil emperor. What a stupid, stupid game. Nobody nobody puts out her effort into the actual story. Blobalonia. Well, they save that for the manuals. In terms of like manual things, I feel like manuals always had way more information or like information that isn't originally supposed to be in the game. Yeah. I feel like you would find I out really straight. I recently found out that Donkey Kong was born in the UK and he moved to Donkey Kong Island because I don't know, I guess he wanted to move, but that's from like a manual. I remember I was reading the manual. So he's British. Up. I was reading the manual to Donkey Kong Country, and then the original Donkey Kong, Cranky Kong, he said, admit it, you're just reading because you're bored. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Because the rare guys are kind of, as they say in Britain, cheeky. I learned that as an idiom from the internet. All right. In 1995, (laughs) David Crane co-founded Skyworks Technologies, and in 2020, he co-founded with Gary Kitchen, audacity games to develop atari 2600 games for retro consoles so i guess he just kind of stuck in the early 80s with this well i mean it was a pretty good he, he did have a big impact i mean even with yeah, the bonus blob his company I mean, big activision ones. is still around it's super huge but he's not really part of it now yeah well whatever and the young man in the commercial was named thomas jacob black Oh, and his that's name, news to me. <laughs> as his name is Jack Black. He's an actor, comedian, and musician. Both his parents musician. were satellite engineers. And his mother, Judith Love Cohen, worked on the Minuteman missile and the abort guidance system on the lunar module, which was allegedly one of the things that really helped out on the ill-fated Apollo 13 returning them home. 
That's crazy. <laughs> yes, I just figured this out. And I was like, wow, that's, that's crazy. So is Jack Black the failure of his family? <laughs> <laughs> well, the very his famous half brother Neil Siegel is also a scientist who worked on many things for the U.S. military, and a lot of the stuff trickled down into the stuff we use, like GPS on phones. Nice. But and this Jack is Black. Bizarre. So he's the black yeah. sheep of the family. I actually didn't mean to say that, but you get what I'm. I get what I'm trying to say. Pretty good in school. He was pulled out of his regular school to go to a school that was for smart people, children or something. And wow. His first acting role was at 13 in the Atari Pitfall commercial we just watched. Really? This was his first thing. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. nice. This is Pitfall. This was uh, my first job. Was I did a Pitfall commercial? In 1982. I was 13 years old. He kind of, you know, went in and out of stuff. I just remember a bunch of 90s stuff he was in, like the Never Ending Story Part 3, where he was the main <gasps> oh, bully and stuff yeah, like that. Oh, yeah, I remember that too. He was I in a bunch that. of, like, Part three? skateboarding movies, you know. Huh. Just Right? He's in a bunch of random stuff. Very. But his first big breakout role was in High Fidelity in 2000. That was a good film. With John Cusack, who's some kind of loser. John Cusack and- plays a loser? Yeah, with a big stereo boombox over his head. Black played an employee at a record store who had like a band and John Cusack in his head kept saying that his band sucked. But at the end, he said his band didn't suck that much. But did he mean it? I don't know. I haven't watched that movie in a really long time. I haven't watched time. that in a long time. I'm kind of going by memory, but I just remember like it's one of those movies that are big now and cultish. So I was like watching it. Oh, it's pretty good. It's Black, good. I just don't on. remember much about it anymore. Yeah. Black later went on to have starring roles and was branded a member of the Frat Pack, a loosely defined group of comedians yeah. who usually do poopy humor and stuff. Like what? Like Will, Will Ferrell type Ferrell, of Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben Stiller and then later on like Paul Rudd and stuff, who was also in a obscure video game commercial. In a video was, game commercial. Super Nintendo. I remember that. But he doesn't talk, so we didn't use it. <laughs> the games of Super Nintendo. Playing with power, superpower. He went on to voice stuff like Kung Fu Panda, one, two, and three, and he took on dramatic roles like in King Kong 2005, which felt weird for me to see. I don't, he I don't was, think uh, I ever saw that. I remember it. He was the out. the main, um, the guy who tried to get him in the circus and stuff. And the film Bernie, where he played an alleged accidental killer, Bernie Teed, who killed his 81-year-old living companion. The movie went on to bring new evidence to light in the Bernie case, but he was still convicted. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. And the family kind of got mad at the whole the film. Oh, like, no. Yeah, our, our mother, our grandmother's murder and all that. That's not great. And he was in the comedy band with a man named Kyle Gass, Tenacious D. Tenacious I didn't look up what Tenacious D meant, but I assume because of their poopy humor. Means that it's something lowbrow. They starred in the lowbrow movie The Pick of Destiny, which yeah, I, I kind of like, even though it's very dumb. It's dumb. He said that he gets a lot of people come up to him, oh man, I love The Pick of Destiny. A bunch of stoners come up to him and I love The Pick of Destiny. And I was like, why didn't you actually get off your butt and get money for the movie? <laughs> <laughs> they also won a Grammy for the Dio cover, The Last in Line. Which What? They kind of, the Grammy sometimes throws in weird stuff and a bunch of Slipknot fans were mad at him. And then uh, the Slipknot main singer, Corey Taylor, was in like a pseudo feud with him because they were just kind of joking with each other. And then whenever he said something, he's like, well, who has this Grammy? <laughs> I actually, it's really weird. I remember watching, I just watched something very recently and I don't remember what it was. It might have been Jackass. I have no idea that plays a Tenacious D song in it. And I just remember thinking, Tenacious D? I don't think it might have been. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Jackass. What was it? It was, I watched a movie really recently that somebody was doing something and it had a Tenacious D song playing in the background. I was like, well, that's nice. A bit weird. It started in 1994, which is crazy. Wow. I must look up what film this was because that's going to bother me. I forgot which film they were before they got kind of big. And then they were playing as Tenacious D in the background. I forgot what movie that was. But in 2018, 
Jack Black started Jablinski Games, where he does vlogs and plays games. He started it to get close to his son, who edits the videos. In the first week, it got a million subscribers because he was a big name going to YouTube, where <laughs> really just people spring up from YouTube. He went into YouTube, and it has about almost 5 million subscribers today. And he continues on with his success, like the Jumanji movies and just pretty much anything. He's kind of always there. And what do you think of Jack Black? I don't I think it's like funny, funny, but he just... It's, it's like, like, I don't have a problem with him at all. And I think he's funny when he's on the screen. It's like, okay, cool. So in my view, I haven't listened to Tenacious D in a really, really long time. So <laughs> I'm not, I, I can't really, I can't really be like, oh yeah, I love them. Oh, it was in Chippendales, the new movie, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. It's like, what is this? And then, yeah, it was, it was used in that. Okay. That sort of makes sense. That was a weird film. It's for them. I really like Tenacious D, but I haven't listened to it or seen anything about it in a long time. So my views may have changed. My tastes may have changed, but I remember really enjoying it at the time. As for Jack Black, what I always felt about Jack Black is that I really liked him. I remember apart from like High Fidelity, like School of Rock was his big cementing moment. Yeah. And I always felt that Jack Black had just needed one more like little oomph to make him like at the top proper top if you get what i mean because i found him really funny and i couldn't really communicate why but i also didn't find him like really really funny i could never yeah, put exactly. it the right way like, and oh. he never and he never leaned into like so for instance okay a, a guy that i really like that i find really funny is danny mcbride i don't know why i find his accent really funny and i find him funny and he's kind of in that group because you know he was gonna eastbound and down but he created everything so he's in the righteous gemstones and he created that and i feel like that puts him in another category of that like principles or something yeah vice principles he did as well and i feel like that puts him in another category a kind of separate category but still a list style i comedian. guess like will ferrell became huge 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 because he was yeah. the leading man for everything i feel like jack black just needed i've always felt he needed another one of those vehicles like one more to really just have put him right there i um, guess with my age he fit well because his craziness his high fueled acting and his stoner comedy it fit right in when i was growing up so if i saw someone doing that at this age i'd probably be like that young 20 year old guy is kind of stupid or something yeah, like that guy's really irritating but i really liked him i mean i can't remember much more than he was in. i actually didn't really like school of rock that much because i don't like movies with kids that much speaking <laughs> of ham-fisted segway <laughs> <laughs> all right that's enough about jack black and atari my experience with atari has been good let's move on to the next one what will it be about we'll find out right now hey mr block can i go to the bathroom two minutes Introducing Lynx from Atari, the color video game you can get away with. Well, sometimes. Okay. Well, that was All right, before we, weird. Before we get into it, any guesses as who that child voice was? What famous actor that child voice was? It was Tobey Maguire with a 90s head of hair. Well, sort of 80s. So this commercial is called Atari Lynx Bathroom Break, featuring Tobey Maguire, 1990. This is a really weird commercial. But this commercial is just pretty much some punk kid with cut-off jean jacket and a shirt. Mm -hmm. It's like a stereotypical... Classic bad kid. Yeah, in the, in the 90s. Uh, it, you but know why he's, he's just like, hey, bad kid? It's because he's wearing that cut off. No, his hair makes him look like a young boy or whatever. It's that cut off sleeves jean jacket. Because if yeah, you take that off, off he's just wearing like a shirt. Yeah. So basically, he asks his teacher to go to the bathroom. And then he takes out his Atari Lynx from his giant denim cut off jacket. But he pulls it out with as a handheld. But then he suddenly has a plug onto it. I don't know where he plugs <laughs> it into the freaking toilet stall. Unless that's headphones he's using. But, no, uh, it's not. It's not headphones. Also, yeah, that thing is huge. Yeah, it's pretty big. 
And then the secretly hides it in like a really deep pocket. The teacher's like, hey, he hasn't come back yet. Looks his watch and then angrily storms into the boys' room to find this boy who's been peeing. I guess he's just peeing real much. Wants him to not be a truant case or something. And then he looks back and he hears that he is there and he just slightly looks at the camera. He's like, I know he's in there. You can get away with it most of the time. And it's just like links. And he pounds into the freaking door and Toby McGuire gets Yeah, like, it's very <laughs> like, oh, oh, I'm going to get caught. I wasn't pooping. What if he was pooping? Anyway, that's embarrassing. So he'd be yes. in anger. He'd be like, hey, uh, Jimmy or whatever. Are you OK? So <laughs> this is well, that's true. He was very angry. He was already accusatory when it could have been that the kid was he... struggles. He pulled this off. Yeah, he probably did it a million times. And we can assume he did because of his jean jacket. jacket. (laughs) All right. So this commercial is the Atari is about the Atari Lynx and Tobey Maguire. So what is the Atari Lynx? Well, I think it was um, in 1990, this commercial. Yeah, this commercial is 1990. So the Atari Lynx started off its life as the handy game, a product that was to be produced by Epix Inc., it was designed by former Amiga designers R.J. Michael and Dave Needle and David Morse, who now worked for Epix. He actually brought on the other two into the company. So they ended up shopping it around and Atari agreed to production and marketing while Epix would handle the software development. So Epix came up with the whole like idea and concepts and then they would make the software and Atari would make the hardware because, you know, Atari was the best at making hardware. Yeah, um, they were in dire straits, so they needed to sell it off to someone. Yeah, they went to Nintendo and Sega, but they didn't agree. Atari did. <laughs> yeah, and Atari, Atari was still doing all right at this stage, I think. So you know, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, I guess it was after, after the, crash, the big crash. It never really was. Just... Yeah, that's true. Actually, Atari wasn't that great after the crash. Atari was still alive enough to do something compared to Epix, which ended up declaring bankruptcy in 1989, and it couldn't fulfill its promises to Atari, so it couldn't do the software development. But it did hand over the ideas, so you know that's cool for Atari, I guess. So. It went through many, many iterations of name. It was the Handy Game, which is a stupid thing. It sounds like a cheap toy that you get in those 25 cents machines. (laughs) It's just like, it's a Handy Game. I don't know what that means. And then it was then called the Portable Color Entertainment System. And it was released in 1989, two months after the Nintendo Game Boy. It was eventually called the Atari Lynx. It was actually the first of Atari's products named after Kit. There's this portable Lynx and the canceled Panther and the 64-bit Jaguar. Yeah, because um, it was like the 2600, the 5200, and like the 7800. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like stuck with the 2600. it's kind of like named after, it's kind of taking the style of cars. You know how cars are like named by, I don't know, some sort of space Or sports teams. They're like, instead of the flamingos, you have to have it like the freaking tigers. The tiger, the Siberian tiger car. <laughs> You should put in some cat noises. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Uh, that's the at world... the end of the Jaguar commercials. <laughs> Get bit by Jaguar. So it was the first, <laughs> the world's first handheld electronic game system with color LCD display, which is huge because the Game Boy, if you don't recall, was just, I want to say black and white, but it was like Monocle gray X-ray. and green. <laughs> yeah. You know, you could still play amazing games on it. Man, I remember playing games on that and being like totally enamored. And it's just huge pixels on gray. I and remember green. wanting to get the uh, God, that was so good. Super Nintendo TV adapter of it, but I never got it. Mm. So I had to hold it squarely in my hands. <laughs> so this system also theoretically allowed for 16 players, but only one game had eight players, which was Todd's Adventures in Slime World, which sounds a little bit like a boy in his blob. And that was the first eight-player game. Anyway, it was considered the first console to zoom and distort sprites. So it was actually, I guess, kind of in line with what you were saying earlier about Atari. It was still kind of Pitfall being ahead of its time. Like, this one is actually pretty darn good as well in terms yeah, of graphics and things and development. It's so, pretty technically impressive, but it just didn't compete. Yeah, I mean, there's a production contingent here coupled with a marketing contingent. So anyway... It was backlit, it had ambidextrous configuration, you could flip it upside down, and there was a Comlinks cable system, which again, bringing in that theoretically allowing 16 players. The Comlinks was actually originally going to be red eye, an infrared connector, 
But if anyone walked in front of it, it would interrupt the connection. So they ended up turning into the Cablecom link, which was, I guess, a nice, happy middle point. Because loads of people do walk in the middle of infrared. Yeah, it's like the the NES satellite was infrared, but if you moved it just a bit, it messed up your four-player controls, so they switched to the four-score, which had a (laughs) Yeah. So they fixed that, I guess. But one thing that they really couldn't fix was it ate up a lot of power. It used six AA batteries, and it allowed for four to five hours of play. So most of the time, it needed to be connected to the outlet which you can see in this commercial. He's plugged it into, I presume, the only stall and only bathroom that has like a plug in the wall. So that's probably why he was desperate to go to the bathroom to play the links because he couldn't play it, you know, outside. Under his shirt or something. (laughs) Because it's so huge, the teacher would have seen like, what is in your hand? (laughs) Yeah, it's too, it's huge. It's not a great looking system. It's actually not very pretty either. Like the Game Boy kind of looks Tiger electronic things. Yeah, I think I just associate it with Tiger electronic stuff that it's too hard for me to be like, yeah, this is, this looks good. Anyway, the system itself had low third-party support, but it did have a lot of Atari arcade ports. So there weren't that many games to go with, like new and exciting ones. But if you liked Atari, then it was a pretty good option. The initial retail price was $199, which is a million dollars in today's money. Um, (laughs) With inflation. (laughs) Meanwhile, the Game Boy was selling for $109. Now, I could see why they would put it at that price point or at least higher than the Game Boy because we're talking about that Comlink thing and we're talking about how you can flip it upside down. But also, it was color. That was probably the biggest selling point of all, which is a huge deal. Because in the commercial, you can see it and it looks cool. He's playing like a surfing game. And if you think about the original Game Boy, you kind of compare it. It it blows it away. It blows it out of the water, some might say. So like I mentioned before, there's an issue with marketing stuff. You know, like Nintendo kind of had everything at this stage. Atari was already kind of going downhill. But also production. There were shortages in Link stock, but Game Boys were plentiful. And everyone has a Game Boy. You're not exactly going to be like the person that goes, I have the links. Makes you look like a big nerd. Also, if there's that comlink stuff, if you're not going to get 18 people, if there's like not 18 links is floating around. So what's the point? Then they got further kind of killed when the Sega Game Gear came out. And it also had a color screen. And I remember wanting that piece of crap because it was I a remember getting a game for it. But we never got the machine because people Thanks, bought it for us. We're like, oh, wait, just a game? A game is a game. A game is a game. It must work with everything. Poor mom. Anyway, she didn't know what she was doing, but she did her best. But I remember wanting the game gear and it was really cool. But it also suffered from that battery issue. I remember it needed to be plugged into the wall. The one that I played, I think it was our cousins a few times. Game Boy actually had a pretty solid life. The Game Boy was pretty technically sound for what it was kind of offering. Also, loads of good games. Remember that Star Wars one? That was fun. Anyway. for kind of garbage, but it works. So it went from 1989 to being 199 to 1991. They were selling them for $99 without the initial accessories. So they kind of stripped away certain things to put it at that price point. In 1991, Atari then released the Lynx 2, to address some of the issues, and it was advertised as being compatible with the upcoming Jaguar, their other cat-named <laughs> system. And this Lynx 2 also had a stereo headphone jack. But then support for Lynx was shifted to Jaguar in 1993, and the whole thing was kind of like discontinued in 1995. But fun fact, it was third place in handhelds behind Nintendo's Game Boy and the Sega Game Gear. I don't it beat think- out NEC's Turbo Express. Yeah, and I don't know, Tiger Electronics games. I don't know if they were out at that stage. Those those sucked so they were bad. Everywhere and they I were hated gone. them. They sucked so and much. Everything licensed to it, like Full House. Absolutely. Even. That's what made them so good. You're like, oh, wow, a Lion King game on this, on this thing? And you got it. It was cheap. And it was just total trash. I'll never forgive them for tricking That's me like multiple times. I was a stupid child. Even the Virtual Boy was better. Anyway, Atari itself, after, you know, Pitfall and the E.T. thing and the launch of this thing, it's, it ended up merging with a company called JTS Inc. And its assets were given to Hasbro Interactive. JTS went bankrupt in 1998 and they liquidated everything in 1999. What else does Hasbro own? Everything. <laughs> Everyone. In 2001, Hasbro Interactive and Atari Interactive was sold to Infogrames. Not Infogames, not Infogames, Infogrames. I'm not 
I'm really I don't know struggling. Called infogrammas. I don't remember, but it's like we're a, gonna call it inf- infogrames for the purposes of this podcast. I remember it popping out in front of Pen Pen Triisalon. Pen Pen Triisalon. I loved that intro. I liked that game. It was a good game. It was a Dreamcast game. Everyone who's listening, if you've never played Pen Pen Triisalon on a Dreamcast, go buy a Dreamcast. It's probably not that cheap anymore. And buy Pen Pen. And that's also probably very difficult to find. So and enjoy yourself a fairly mediocre but fun game. Uh, anyway, Hasbro Interactive and Atari Interactive was sold to Infogrames. And from there, the whole Atari history gets kind of confusing, even going into like casinos and blockchain and crypto and all this kind of stuff. It's just the name went everywhere and got associated with things. It's, it's kind of confusing, so it's best not to get into it. Yeah, anyway, the- like three different Ataris at the same time. One of them was Atari Interactive, Atari it's, Geek, it's Atari too much. Infogrames. <laughs> so the current holders of the Atari brand is Atari SA, a French company formerly named Infogrames Entertainment SA. As for the Lynx, it has a retro and cultish homebrew fan base, and it's been recognized for its impressive system specs. So it doesn't go down in history. It's obscure, but it doesn't go down in history as one of the worst products ever made or anything like that. We wish it, you it's the not- very best. <laughs> It's not got like the negative side of things like some of those weird systems that were created or like, I don't know, E.T. Or things that sucked but were successful like Tiger. (laughs) And we had like watches and I don't want to talk about Tiger anymore. (laughs) Anyway, so apart from Atari Lynx, this commercial is also about Mr. Tobey Maguire. So Tobey Maguire is an actor in case you were unaware. So. The way he got started, he started taking acting classes in sixth grade and his mother actually paid him 200 bucks to do that. So, you know, that's pretty cool. He dropped out of school in ninth grade to pursue acting. He was no Jack Black genius. boy. Yeah, that's crazy. Ninth grade, like you're a freshman in high school, 14. What was going on in his mind? Well, I guess he was 14, so not much, (laughs) but still. But whatever. His first movie was in 1989's The Wizard. The Wizard is about kids going to a video game championship. He had no lines in this film. That's was, funny. At the end of the movie when the Lucas kid with the, the bad power glove. I love the power glove. It's so bad. God, that he's chasing so the hero. <laughs> he's chasing the hero kids. He has this group of bullies who is like, go Bully get boys. He's just kind of sitting off to the far left or something, like dazed and confused looking. <laughs> it's, it's go so- get them. He's just like, <laughs> it's funny looking when you know that's him. That's so. All the other kids the are wizard- like, their fists and stuff like that. The Wizard wasn't a good movie, but everything around is it. Is it? But I really like that movie. God, I just want Mar- to Super Mario 3. Movies oh. to have a freaking send me an angel montage. Okay, that's no, we're going down routes that we don't need to go down. Anyway, to continue with Toby's career, he was a lead in Fox's Great Scott, but it was canceled, much like many Fox shows at the time. (laughs) He became friends with Leonardo DiCaprio, an actor you may have heard of, as they were in a lot of auditions together, roughly the same age, and they actually helped each other get parts. Uh, Leo and Maguire, Toby, were part of a hard partying group of young up and coming actors, initially dubbed the Frat Pack, not to be confused with Jack Black's Frat Pack, later recalled the uh, Pussy Policy. So I, I always think because Toby Maguire looks like a nerd and kind of acts like a nerd, it's always kind of surprising. His that biggest he was, role is a nerd. <laughs> is a nerd. It's kind of surprising that he was part of this hard partying group of hot boys like Leonardo DiCaprio and stuff. But then again, he dropped out when he was 14 and started becoming like really popular and hanging out with these guys at teenage years. So I guess that kind of makes but sense. Then again, I guess if you were a girl who saw the guy and he was famous, it would. Yeah, I mean, and and Leonardo DiCaprio was really popular as a kid, as a teen in his 20s, everything like that. So if you're even a friend with Leonardo DiCaprio, that's a big deal. Before Titanic, I remember him only from... uh, Growing Pains? Growing Pains. And uh, I'll bring it up later. (laughs) Anyway, they acted together, actually, in a film called Don's Plum, which was ill-fated. It was about kids who hung out at a restaurant and he was reunited with Jenny Lewis, who was also in The Wizard. Don's Plum was kind of ill-fated because both DiCaprio and Maguire 
got it banned in U.S. and Canada, allegedly because they were lied about the nature of the production. But there's a lot of hearsay and a lot of bunch of weird crud about it. And DiCaprio, it's one of the only two movies I know where he keeps it off his resume because he really doesn't like like what's the other film? The, the best film in the series, Critters Three. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> he, he has no problem with that. I guess he thinks it sucks. <laughs> well, yeah, it does suck. Anyway, beyond anyway, this thing and all this yeah. stuff, Toby Maguire but was a hard party Worked out for Maguire, I guess. Yeah, he ended up um, getting sober and getting lead roles like the one he had in Pleasantville, which is a fun film. But his biggest role of all was the lead in 2002 Spider-Man. And they say that a hero... Put that in. No, like, I, Spider-Man, for some reason, I don't Got know Bruce why. Campbell? As far as nostalgia goes, for some reason, 94 Spider-Man and 2002 Spider-Man just get me really nostalgic for some yeah. reason. And it makes me feel like I just have life ahead of me and I want to do like, <laughs> science or something. It's <laughs> uh, a shame. Right? I don't know. Yeah, I... We have no more life ahead of us. It's all over. <laughs> but the thing here... I just always it... liked that he was a bright kid. He was like, oh, look at that. I remember watching those films and I was a teenager and I just remember thinking, this guy's Spider-Man? Because I compared him so much to the cartoon Spider-Man who looked like a man and he was cool, but he was kind of dorky. Like he was... He was dorky, like he wasn't super popular, but he was cool because he was Spider-Man and also had, I don't know, he's kind of funny. He didn't look like a nerd. This guy looked like an out-and-out nerd, and that bugged me. I I didn't like it. I was like, this guy's a nerd. Get rid of him. But but it was fine. Also, the third one, obviously, like people have varying opinions on it nowadays, but at the time it was panned, and I still only remember that dance. It was awful, and it was very confusing. There were too many competing factors. I remember the the trailer for the first one was in 2001, and he stopped helicopter bank robbers by webbing the Twin Towers, and then it just kind of couldn't work anymore. They kind of got rid of that. You can find it on YouTube if you want to see that teaser for Spider-Man. And, a, sad, uh, a sad moment. I remember I watched it with my cousin, the one from Massachusetts, remember? Came over. Uh, I was 17. He said, hey, you want to watch it? I was like, yeah, why not? So why not? Usually I go to the back, but we got the front row seat to the far right. Uh, and I row. saw a bulging blob of a movie. <laughs> but it was like, still wow, this cool. movie's really like big. It. I think the only thing I remember Tobey Maguire from before Spider-Man was Pleasantville. Yeah, Pleasantville. That's all so, I know. That's all I was like, that oh, was good. And I feel like he guy. fit that really well. Well, whatever. Yeah. Tobey Maguire. And then that was it. But the second one was whatever for me. But the third one was just, wow, this is bad. And it's like, okay, this is running out of and he's getting tired. It was, I think for me, apart from the whole emo haircut, there were just too many characters to really focus. I don't know. It was just too scattered. It was too diffused. (laughs) What what was that joke that Danny McBride said in the end of the world or whatever? He's like, James Franco's like, shut up, the green goblin or something like that. What did he say? I don't remember, but... It's Danny McBride, and I probably laughed. Anyway, back to Spider-Man or Tobey Maguire, or whatever you want to call him. In terms of his Spider-Man run, there was a fourth movie that was kind of planned, but Sony decided to reboot the hell thing, and they went with Andrew Garfield, who I also found to be a... You know what? I don't like any of the Spider-Man. I think in my mind, Spider-Man was just so perfect in that cartoon that no one ever reached that level of Spider-Man for me. And I think I'm more more attached to the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man just because that's the Spider-Man I knew. So I'm a bit like, fine. I don't like Tom Holland. <laughs> just generally, I don't like Tom Holland. I don't know. I don't, I don't like him as a... I don't really like his acting. Just... I don't like Drake. Yeah, Uncharted wasn't that great. Anyway, whatever. Moving on. But anyway, for Tobey Maguire, he's had a storied, wonderful history since Spider-Man and Pleasantville and all that kind of stuff. He's gone into other roles. He's gone into producing. He was reunited with Leonardo DiCaprio in a film that they both have on their resume and isn't banned called The Great Gatsby, based on the book The Great Gatsby. What's it, what's it like working with Leo? On a personal level, I have great affection for Leo. We're very good friends. Which you can probably read in a shorter amount of time than the length of that film. <laughs> anyway, and I also because, remember Seabiscuit. And as a and as part of the whole Spider-Man thing that really propelled Tobey Maguire into A-list uh, category, I mean, he has a few spiders named after him. So science also loves Tobey Maguire. The thing that feels weird about science is full of nerds. <laughs> the Spider-Man movie is like 
uh, comic books usually have certain things because the background business dealings they have to do the stuff so this one was like the merging of the sony characters to the mcu so with spider-man no way home they had to shove uh no sony prop the sony properties into the mcu so tom holland met uh Toby oh Maguire yeah and- that whole thing uh, I say that as if that was a really Spider-Man. small piece. But for some Oscar, reason, it was huge. For some reason, it's like the MCU started when I was 23. Did it? But after like 100 movies, I was like, I'm not going to watch all of them, or at least when they come out. The only ones I've ever been interested in was Endgame, because it was the end, allegedly. And Spider-Man No Way Home, because of the nostalgia. The mix. Spider-Man. The, the kind of merging. <laughs> but apparently, like, what's the, I think it's like one of the biggest movies. Yeah, it's people were like, this should be Oscar worthy and whatever. I gave up on any superhero movie because I, I want to watch everything and I just didn't want to dedicate my life and time to it. Yeah, um, like, after like, I'm the juggernaut bitch thing. That's <laughs> that's when I was like, well, I've finished. I've finished. And that was two years I've before finished Iron superhero Man. movies. Yeah, exactly. I'd never saw that Iron Man. I think I saw Iron Man 2 for some reason. I've seen other things like WandaVision because it was on TV, uh, streaming TV. But that's it. I literally have never I also have seen Loki the TV show but like again I have no context they did a really good job creating those two shows the for funny people one, have like literally yeah. no context about what's gone on the, in the two of them that you just said one of them was literally in its own bubble yeah and the other one is an alternate timeline that he kind of shifted out exactly and, had <laughs> and everyone like, oh, loves cool. it I don't need to know anything about this giant franchise yeah, so like it was great for that. It can help you get into it, but you could watch it standalone and be like, that's enjoyable. But you want to know the funny part about those shows? They did what? not tempt me at all to be like, I should check out this series. I was just cool. That was fun. All right, now I'm going to go watch Baby Yoda. Let's use millions and millions of dollars every year to make this thing. Wow. <laughs> all right. Talking about Toby Spiders and not as much Speaking about Atari of- Lynx. Speaking of Spider Ham Fisted. It's like- <laughs> All right, we're moving on to the next one. Here we go. <sighs> Whoa. Color. Hey, there's an easier way to get color. Get a Game Gear, the full color portable with over 150 games like the new Echo, Mortal 2, and Sonic Triple Trouble. Sega! I miss it feels so shouting 90s. Sega. I miss it so much. All right, so this commercial, can you guess who the actor it's is? It's from the it? 90s. <laughs> and the actor is... Ethan Supley. Ethan Supley. We'll get into his history if you don't know who he is, but um, he's a fun actor and he's he's worked for a while now. Anyway, the commercial itself is... He's had a working career. <laughs> the commercial itself is for the Sega Game Gear. If you want to watch this particular commercial, go on YouTube and type in, wow, color, Sega Game Gear commercial, full HD. Right, so in this commercial, we see Ethan Supley sitting on a bench playing... Pl- Amazingly, he's playing the Nintendo Game Boy. It's not a knockoff. It's not like, you know, when you see someone they, in a they Pepsi didn't have commercial. They the rights or something? I don't know how it worked. Maybe it changed after whatever year this was in. And the but freaking... like, it's not like so Wait, wait, wait. He's sitting in front of a bench and an old lady with a cartoonishly large baby carriage is in front of him. Yeah, this is this is a very cartoony real life commercial. Very like cartoony live action. 90s commercial. So anyway, yeah, the saturation is quite high, like the color scheme and everything. Anyway, and I think there's a purpose for that. So he's playing, he's playing on a Game Boy, a Nintendo Game Boy. It even focuses on his fingers playing the Game Boy, and it says Nintendo a, Game Boy. It, it's it's shocking. Like I, I don't know how this happened, but you know whatever. Really? So he's playing it, and then he's just kind of bored, and he sees a very dead, very rigor mortis squirrel on the floor, and grabs it by the tail, and looks at it, and slams it against his head. And then after he slams it against his head, you see like basically superimposed over his face tie dye, ninety ninety sixty LSD colors, rainbow colors flowing over his head. And as he's playing the Game Boy now, it shows the Game Boy and it shows the superimposed colors. 
that's when he says like whoa color so the only way to get color in this guy's world while he's playing a nintendo game boy is to hit himself in the head with a dead squirrel however sega comes in and goes you don't have to do that and they show various pictures of the new other boys playing the sega game gear yeah and it shows sonic does that freaking stupid excitable 90s thing just play this dude yeah it shows like game gear it shows mortal kombat it shows sonic shows everything it says game gear and then it finishes the commercial with the classic sega coming from the dead squirrel (laughs) dead squirrel so it's pretty radical there must be another word radical feels kind of 80s is there like a 90s (laughs) yeah it feels really extreme gi joe extreme So that's the commercial. It's I, I actually like this commercial, and it's gonna be nostalgia related. I kind of like it, but it annoys me. It is. It's it's grating. It's grating. With Mr. Superage thrown in there for some reason. Well, if you would like to know about the Game Gear, contact your local library. (laughs) And that's it. Okay, the Game Gear was Sega's answer to the Game Boy. It was actually arrived late to the party after the Game Boy and the Lynx. So they kind of rushed out production. But <laughs> it's going to be out the Lynx. Specs are pretty much a portable version of the Master System, the 8-bit system from Sega. And they tried to make more technologically advanced compared to the Game Boy. That's why have backlighting, so you can play it in the dark. And in color. I remember in color. Nintendo didn't get backlight until like the... 3ds or something like that oh, i remember serious I, got the, I remember i got the advanced and i had to buy an extra flashlight <gasps> i remember that jesus nintendo what? what's going on there maybe they were like they don't want kids playing at night the technology was played on the master system and one of the many accessories you can play was the master adapter where you could play the master system games on it the they liked adapting more- sega <laughs> Lock on technology. Made game system horizontal to mimic the Genesis Mega Drive controller Mm. uh, to make it a little easier to play, which I guess it worked because the Game Boy kind of hurt my the middle muscles of my hand after a while. Yeah, they did. (laughs) You have big thumbs, you can't play. It wasn't very ergonomic. Well, it wasn't that ergonomic, yeah. And like the Atari Lynx, because of the added technologically advancedness of it. It needs six AA batteries, and the Lynx battery life beat this out. This one only lasted about three to five hours. I remember that. I remember being like, this thing needs to be plugged in forever. Because I walked away with it and just being like, oh, okay. Like in the middle of Sonic Jungle, and then it's starting to turn wider. I'm thinking that's partially maybe why Nintendo was like, we need the battery life to last. We're going to make this not backlit, and we're going to make it not color. There's probably way more reasons. Don't buy it anyway. A unique add-on was the TV tuner, which allowed you to watch <gasps> analog TV. Where... Oh my god! Uh, I used to have a portable TV, and it was one of the greatest things yeah. I ever had. And I kind of wish. I and could. more portability—you could use it in your car adapter. The Game Gear had about 300 games, and since it was Sega, a lot of it was sports. <laughs> I think the Genesis library is like a third of it is sports. That's yeah, that big, makes sense. I do think shot. of it as—it's probably very teenagery. But yeah, I didn't like sports, so I didn't care. Apart from, like, I don't know, Road Rush. The Game Boy's library, over a thousand. Like the Lynx, the Game Gear had trouble with third-party support because more people wanted to make money off of the surefire hit that was the Nintendo and Game Boy. So the other two kind of got left in dust. Many of the games were Master System ports or games that were based off 16-bit series, like Sonic and stuff. All of that combined, it lagged behind sales in Nintendo. In 1995, combined, the Game Gear and the Lynx sold about 7 million units. In 1995, the Game Boy sold 16 million units. Wow. It can't be considered a failure, though, because by the time of its discontinuation in 1997, it had sold almost 11 million units. Wow, only two years. That's interesting. Maybe because at that point they gave you TVs and backlighting and everything else. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. And the man, or the boy, I guess, in the TV commercial... The man boy. The man boy was Ethan Supley, which, as I referred to earlier, Ethan Suplex, for some reason I always call him that. He was an actor. He was in a few school plays when he was in school, but 
He dropped out of school at age 14. Oh my God. How many people do this? Was it like a thing? A rash? His mom mom threatened him. He was like, you have to go back to school. He threatened back. He's like, are you going to call the truancy officer on me? And he just didn't go to school anymore. That's funny. She didn't want him to go to jail, but he didn't want to go to school. So I guess he just dropped out. So he had a friend who also acted. And he went to Los Angeles on behalf of his friend. He was like, you're not really doing anything. You want to try acting? So he went to Los Angeles. And... He quit the acting class at the lowest this man quits. level. <laughs> and then on his first day of auditions, he got auditions from Melrose Place and Boy Meets World. He said wow. he got the role from Melrose Place, but I think uh, SAG acting, the, the union didn't let him because he wasn't in the union. Mm. And he got on Boy Meets World and he stayed on that for three years as one of the bullies. <clears throat> that's how I remember. I that's where remember. I remember him. Yeah, I remember him from that. He was like a, a I didn't bully. Know it was just three years, but I don't know how long a, the show lasted. He was a bully, but he was also like well read and well versed, right? He yeah. Poetry and stuff. And he was a complex bully, I think was the idea. Yeah. And his first big movie was in Mall Rats, where <gasps> he tried to look at the magic eye, but he couldn't, and everybody else could see the boat. It's a sailboat. You dumb bastard. It's not a schooner, it's a sailboat. Okay. He was also in Don's Plum. As I got so wait, walk. was Don's Plum just it was like made a bum up? Don- Is Don's Plum just made up of a bunch of high school dropouts? <laughs> you got a bunch of kids there. The That's guy. really funny. And I think his biggest role, I can't quite see it. Oh, yeah. I guess yeah. it was My Name is Earl, where he yeah, was, it was, it was. brother. That's such a shame that My Name is Earl kind of just disappeared from public consciousness. Yeah. Like, it was so huge, kind of like Wings. It was so huge at the time. So huge, kind of like Supley was before he lost all that weight. That's true. That's true. It was and no now uh, Jason Lee oh, is kind of the big guy. <laughs> It's so strange that that show. Oh, just, well, they like, were both in Mallrats. They did. They were. <laughs> they were both in Mallrats. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. My name is Earl. Remember, people. He's loved like it, talked about had a. Just went. He's just had like a big enough career, but the ones I remember him was in with Denzel Washington, the the Titans. Remember the Titans football? Thing? Oh, I've never seen that. And American History X. Where he's uh, I've also racist. never seen that because <laughs> the teeth the scene bigger. scares me. And I've actually never seen the teeth scene, but that's I, about what I know him from. But he's also known for his weight loss, but he had to put it back on a little bit to get more roles. Oh, <laughs> but he's just kind of like I said, he's just kind of acting. <laughs> yeah, he's acted for a while now. It's kind of not. It's funny. Whenever I see him in something, I'm like, hey, it's him. He just seems like an all right guy, you know, so it's kind of he has yet to quit. acting. Yeah. <laughs> And he's kind of a welcome figure if you see him. If you're, I guess, a person of a certain age kind of thing, he is welcome. I did like it when he yeah, was in My Name is Earl. I was like, hey, he's in that. That's nice. It's nice that he's got kind a big has a role. working career. <laughs> yeah. I do like that when they're actors who have a consistent career or a consistent enough career. Because um, yeah. it's always kind of sad when you're like, what happened to that guy? And then they're just not doing anything. It's just. He's on drugs. They appear like, yeah, that's also the sad one. <laughs> Anyway, we've gone through all of the commercials featuring famous dudes. So it is now time for us to rate the commercial. All right. So what's on the bottom? What's number three? Three for me would be that was a lot of rhyming. Would be Jack B. No, um, let me see. I guess Jack Black, yeah. Because yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just people scrolling through, and it has the stereotypical grandma and the stereotypical teacher, businessman, or whatever. He's stodgy. It's fun for all ages. The most fun one was the girl because she was in love with this pixel man. So strange. And Jack Black oh, doing oh, his weird hand box face. Yeah, and his like, real excitable thirteen-year-old boy thing. Yeah, I'd say the same thing. It's yeah. the lo- it's the bottom of the totem pole for me. While Jack but, Black is enjoyable, it's just kind of a very generic commercial. It gets a little more points for me because it mentions David Crane made the game. <laughs> that part just weird to me. It is very strange. It's like okay. who's that? So okay, number two then. What's number second two? then? Uh, the Atari Lynx would be my second favorite because 
it's kind of basic. The story is weird to me because the teacher gets so angry at this punk, radical, rebellious kid. But it's just basically this kid has to go to the bathroom playing the rad games, which I actually do think it looks kind of cool. It does look good. I think he's playing California games, which is the, the packing game. <laughs> <laughs> I feel and, uh, I think that one's also in the middle for me. Oh, something that I, well, I'll get in a minute, but I think why I like it is because there's a little storyline. It's just kind yeah. of silly, I guess. Um, he like breaks in and he just gets so startled. It's crazy. Yeah. It's I think so weird to me that that part of the storyline is weird to me. It's like, why are you so angry, man? It's like you have other students to care about. But yeah, that one would be the second one for me for pretty much those reasons, which means number one is the Game Gear. The Game Gear, because it gives you color. It, it just, you, it's just because the other two were before my time. 1990 wasn't quite my time. This was my time, and I had the weird for the sake of weird stupidity. Just I, I, some I, giant carriage comes in front of some boy sitting in front of a, a bench. He's playing a game from a rival company that is able that's, to that's, put in there. That still blows my mind. Gets a freaking dead squirrel and smashes it over his head to play. It's just car. a live action cartoon. That's why I like it. I the think the kinetic awesomeness of the advertising with the other boy playing the game here and then the screaming squirrel Sega. Sega. Okay, I always like that. Sega! So I think the reason why I like it is yes, it's a live action cartoon, but I think there's a bit of a the development from the previous one. Because the previous one has a card the previous one has a storyline and this one has a storyline as well, but a little bit more fun to it. There's like a little twist to it. Reminds and me one of thing like- I Crash Bandicoot guy. Yeah, I mean, it's all, all in that vein. But stupid dumbness one thing that I really enjoyed about one thing that I've just realized when kind of listing these things out, this pretty much takes us through that up to the 90s, obviously, that journey of how, how video <laughs> games, comer- video game commercials kind of developed. Like the first like, really- here is a consumer electronic play. Yes, it it's, it's very <laughs> plain and it's almost board game level fun for the whole family in that sense. You know, old people play it. The links kind of goes into that we're targeting boys and it's kind of rebellious, but it's still, you know, with the the teacher going like (laughs) at the end, kind of knowingly, I know you're playing that. Buy it at Walgreens. What a fun, what a kid. And then the last one is just the very in your face, six feet of bubblegum. I don't know, but like it was that in your face angle. I feel like that's such a really clear through line of how these games were kind of communicated. That's why, even though it's my first pick, it's like I I have a love-hate relationship with it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's irritating. All right. So of the commercials. It's not 2000s viral on purpose. Yeah, I don't like those. So boring. Of these three commercials, which one would you actually buy based on the ad? I'd go with the links because it. I'd say the um, the pitfall because it was it, it explains what it is, but the links shows it's a handheld and it has a jack for your earphones and it's in color. Wow, that's pretty cool. So I initially was going to say the links too because I was far more impressed with it as I looked at it when it came out when it when I saw it I was like wow that's actually really good. But the Game Gear is the one where I would buy it because the commercial itself is fine, but then it shows me Sonic and it shows me Mortal Kombat. It shows me all of these games and I'm like, oh my God, I want to play these games. Yeah, it's true. So like, and it shows you multiple games rather than that surfing one or whatever. So I just feel like just off of that, when I saw Sonic, even just now, I was like, oh man, I want to play it. Like I felt that visceral reaction of just give me that definitely would have won me over. It probably did back then and it still is now. But that Lynx commercial is actually good. I'm actually really impressed with the level of what they were producing yeah. at the time. It was actually, it's bonus, very surprising. Bonus question. Favorite actor? Like just generally or within the or commercial? Like their or favorite kind of movies. Which movie would you want to watch from them? Who overall do you like better? Da, da, da. That's I actually really tough. I guess Jack Black because most of the movies I watched them was like, oh yeah, I Kind of like I could it. watch Tenacious D. I'll say that. I'll say Jack Black too. Yeah, I think uh, Toby Maguire acted the other really two, poorly but... in this commercial, though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Who? Ah. If it was Leo DiCaprio, he would act awesome in the commercial. Yeah, he would have shouted right. and given us his whole soul. All right, <laughs> I'm going to have to leave now. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> going off to my own planet. Okay, so I think that's everything. This is a fun commercial series. Yeah. We should do another version of this, but maybe it'll be like 
candy commercials with famous people. There's so many mixes we can do with this. So cool. Well, thank you for listening. If you liked us, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast channels and tell other people about it because, you know, that's pretty fun. And follow us on Instagram and on Facebook where we post things sometimes. But if you tweet at us, we won't answer because we're not on Twitter. But if you message us on either of those platforms, we will respond back and let you know. All right. I think that's it. So I'm going to go play some handhelds and pitfall and fall in a pit. I'm going to go eat dinner. (laughs) See you, everybody. All right, everybody. Till next time. Bye. Over. Goodbye.